And here we go. Another edition of Jamal About Sports coming to you on a Tuesday, early evening, July 12th, 2018. Kicking off the show, a little Joe Jackson with You Can't Get What You Want Until You Know What You Want. I think apropos, given uh, the bulk of this show, which we will dedicate a lot of to uh, potential solutions for the disasters uh, or disaster that is the New York Mets, um, we will look at potential trade partners, uh, not just for the Mets, but other teams, even though the trade deadline uh, is in for another six weeks or so, right? End of, end of July, July 31st. Uh, there has been one somewhat I wouldn't say a major trade, but we talked about it a couple of weeks on the show. By the way, we were off last week uh, due to life, <laughs> um, which was uh, Seattle getting uh, Alex Colomay and uh, Denard Spann from the Tampa Bay Rays. Um, and we will delve into a little bit more about Seattle and their general manager, Jerry Depoto a little later in the show and the uh, excellent job that he has done and how he has done something actually uh, that sort of is that flies in the face of the rest of the dumb, stupid groupthink that exists in Major League Baseball right now. But we start, as we always do, with the New York Metropolitans. And listen, I would guess that there will probably come a time in the not-too-distant future where they really are not worth the breath anymore. I mean, this team... And I understand. Look, I get it. I sound like a broken record. I complain, I moan, and I groan. And so the logical question then, therefore, would be, why even bother rooting for this team? Well, unfortunately, it's ingrained in me. Okay, I think I went to my first Met game when I was probably about four years old. I want to say I remember Hank Aaron's last game at Shea Stadium. Uh, That's how old I am. So that's pretty long. You know, that was in the probably mid-70s. Um, You know, I was there for Dave Kingman. I was there when he was the best player on the Mets. I was there when uh, Seaver came back in 83, and that was a big deal. Um, You know, obviously, the the, the success, the mild success, uh, if you will, because there were no wild cards back then. I mean, look, the Mets won 98 games in 1985. They won 90 in 1984. And since there was no wild card, they didn't uh, make the playoffs. You know, they won obviously 108 and 86. They won, I think, 90 and 87. They won 188, made the playoffs loss that, that, you know, touched by the hand of God, if you will, Dodgers team that went on to upset and beat the A's in the World Series with the Gibson home run off Eckersley and the whole deal. Um, you know, they won, they were a high 80s, low 90s win team for about a decade. But unfortunately, again, in those days, no wild card. So, fat lot of good it did them. Um, you know, so anyway, I guess that's the reason. Look, I, you know, you root for the laundry. I get it. Um, this Mets team is about as unlikable a group, and not personally, right? There's a lot of stand-up guys on this team. I've, I've talked about it several times, right? Jay Bruce is a stand-up guy. Don't matter. Sitting 220 with three home runs and 15 RBIs. It's a joke. It's an absolute joke. Guys are doing that in, in four games, three home runs and 15 RBIs on other teams. This guy is giving you that in 60 games this year ridiculous and again solid guy solid player obviously having a horrible time of it right now but wasn't a great fit and again yet another notch 
knock on Sandy Alderson and the rest of his lieutenants is the inability to self-scout or to trust what they see. So you drafted Brandon Nimmo with a 13th pick in the first round seven years ago. He showed some signs last year. And granted, it wasn't a massive sample size, but it also wasn't 20 meaningless games at the end of September, which you applied to the reason why you didn't get a catcher for Kevin Plawecki. And Nimmo had shown an, an affinity and an ability and a knack to get on base, if nothing else. And yet, rather than trust that he could be an, an everyday player and your leadoff hitter, you went out and signed Jay Bruce. Why? Because he was there and the money was right. That's why. There was no plan. There was no strategy. Because you had him, you knew him, and it was yet another Sandy Alderson lazy, uninspired move. Jay Bruce has been nothing short of a disaster this year. But again, I get it. Great guy. Todd Frazier. Great guy. Great clubhouse guy. Leader. Gets the team fired up. Not a bad player. Yeah, had a big home run Sunday night. Okay. You know, Todd Frazier, again, is fine if he's like your sixth place hitter or seventh place hitter in a really good lineup. The Mets need him to do way more than what he's capable of doing to be a good team. Again, and this, by the way, goes back to the Omar Minaya era. The, the, the Mets constantly do this. They cross their fingers and hope for the best possible outcomes and the best case scenarios rather than be pragmatic and plan for just the opposite. So, yeah, if all the starting pitchers stayed healthy and pitched their potential. Yes, if Jay Bruce gives you his typical good year. Yes, if Michael Conforto continues to grow and develop. Yes, if Cespedes stays healthy. Yes, if Todd Frazier gives you a solid year. Yes, if Cabrera can play second base reasonably well and give you good offense. Yes, maybe if Adrian Gonzalez has something left in the tank. He doesn't. The Mets cut him. And yes, if, if, Todd, uh, if, if Travis Darno could somehow stay healthy and Kevin Ploiecki could somehow continue, not even continue, improve, then yes, the Mets would have a good con- catching situation. Well, ta- uh, Travis Darno, of course, didn't stay healthy out for the year again for a change. And Kevin Ploiecki is one of the worst baseball players I've ever seen lace up the spikes in the New York Mets uniform. And again, I've been going, I go back to the Mets, let's, let's call it 1977, just for argument's sake, when I actually had a, a, a somewhat of a, an understanding of the roster of who was on the team. Right? I might have gone in my first game when I was five or six, but let's say I actually started, you know what, let's call it 78. Okay, so a good 40 years. Kevin Ploiecki, in 40 years of following this team, is one of the worst players I've ever seen lace up the spikes. And this is who the Mets are giving me. By the way, he hit fourth in a game last week. Bad cleanup. So, this is no surprise. We all know, obviously, by now that the, the, the 11-1, 12-2 start was a mirage. Okay. The disabled list continues to be, you know, where most Mets go to hang out. Now, Familia's on the DL. No surprise. You could tell something was wrong with the guy. He did not pitch well this year at all, save for maybe the first couple of weeks of the season. I don't know if it has anything to do with the fact that Callaway used him for six outs a couple of different times. I don't know. But here's all you really need to know about the Mets. In the last nine games... In which the Mets are one and eight, their starters ERA is under or just over two runs a game. 
starters ERA. And they're 1-8 and eight in their last nine games. Which tells you that their lineup stinks and their bullpen stinks. And the manager's decisions of how to deploy that bullpen are a horror show. So, there you go. But, big shakeup after the big win against the Yankees Sunday night. Adrian Gonzalez gone. Who, by the way, I understand he was one for his last 19. And he was getting beat by mediocre fastballs. That could just be, could be he's done. Fine. And look, I have no great affinity for Adrian Gonzalez. He was a scrap heap pickup, you know, hired gun. Fine. But overall, his numbers were not that bad. 266 home runs, 20-something RBIs. Better than Jay Bruce. Better than Michael Conforto. And more RBIs than Michael Conforto. Michael Conforto has been nothing short of a complete and utter failure so far this year. He's been awful. And it's, 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 it's depressing as a Mets fan. This is supposed to be one of your young foundational stud players that you build around. He's hitting about 218 now. Yes, he has seven home runs. Big deal. He's got like 16 RBIs. He's been awful. I think he's won for his last 28 with runners on base. And he's a lousy center fielder, which is not his fault. That's classic Mets playing a guy out of position. So they got rid of Adrian Gonzalez. They finally got rid of Jose Lobaton. But they called up Dom Smith, who was supposed to be another first-round pick by Sandy. Probably will be a failure. You know, had all the issues last year, being overweight, got called up, didn't look very good. He did hit nine home runs and not a ton of at-bats. But other than that, he batted under 200, struck out a ton. This is a guy who was a skinny kid coming out of high school who was grossly overweight last year. I shouldn't say grossly, but 25 pounds. Supposedly whipped himself into shape in the offseason, looked better, showed up to spring training, of course, missed the first meeting or was late to the first meeting. Got benched, then got hurt. He's been down in AAA now in a hitter's paradise in the Pacific Coast League. Las Vegas, half their games there, where the ball travels because... The thin air and most of the ballparks in the Pacific Coast. I mean, the Pacific Coast League for years, for decades, has been known as a hitter's paradise, right? You had all those guys for the Dodgers when they used to have their AAA team at Albuquerque, and all those guys used to mash and put up massive numbers, right? But it's hard to get a proper assessment. You know, is it the park? Is it the hitter? Is it a combination? You're not sure. It's like Coors Field, right? Maybe not quite as dramatic, but pretty close. So, in a hitter's haven, in a hitter's paradise, Dom Smith is giving you 260, two home runs, and 20-something RBIs in a fair amount of at-bats. Awful. And that's who the Mets call up. Not Peter Alonzo at A. They're mashing first baseman who's got 15 home runs, 45 RBIs. More importantly... Batting average over 300. He's been a little slump lately. He was hitting 350. He's down to 315. However, look at the strikeout and walk numbers. 43 walks to 48 strikeouts. Now, I get it. He supposedly is very bad at first base. So, oh, all of a sudden now, Sandy Alderson, you're concerned about defense? You have 17 guys playing out of position. But now, that's, that's, that's your line, huh, Sandy? I mean, at least the kid could probably hit. But no. Because that would actually be a bold move. And the Mets, as we know, with Sandy Olsen, they don't do bold moves. Status quo. They also called up the great Ty Kelly. Been with the Mets, got released by the Mets, was with the Blue Jays, played for Team Israel in the World Baseball Classic. I mean, look, 
Seems like a nice enough guy, hard worker. You know, maybe not bad to be a 25th man on your squad. Could play multiple positions. He's like a poor man's, I'm going to give you a reference from a million years ago. Poor man's Bob Baylor, former Met utility man. But the Mets have another guy at double A, Jeff McNeil, another guy who could play the infield, can play the outfield, hitting about 330 with 14 home runs and a ton of RBIs. Why not call him up? We already know what Ty Kelly is, Sandy. And then Sandy actually fell on his sword today in a little conference call with reporters and said, look, I take all the blame. I'm not happy about it. This team is on me. And then when asked about Jose Reyes and how the fact that he's hitting 140, literally, and he's here still when he can't play any positions down in the infield, forget about third base, made two errors on the same play at second base the other night and almost cost the Mets the game on a ground. Should have been an easy 4-4-3 double play unassisted and screwed up both missed the bag at second couldn't tag the bag at second and threw the ball away at first luckily the Mets got out of the inning I thought for sure that would cost him the game and yet he's still on the team because Sandy Alderson said well we have to find somebody we like better first if that is not the most searing indictment of his ineptitude that you are going to tell me, Sandy Alderson, that there's no one else in your organization that you like better than a 35-year-old washed-up player who relied on his legs for most of his effectiveness and speed, who is now doesn't have any of that, who can't field and can't hit. You don't have anybody better? You don't have a better option than that? Really? And again, see, an an ownership group that cared, that had a bit of shame, that would be almost grounds for firing right there. I mean, again, it would be the straw that would break the camel's back. Not that one incident isolated, right? But this is just the culmination of years of mismanaging this roster and this organization by Sandy Alderson. Right? All the injury stuff is still the same. Noah Syndergaard, part of the same thing. He's going for a second opinion on a strained finger. Remember, he wasn't going to miss a start. Then he was going to only miss one start, and now he's going for a second opinion. That means, by the way, that's code for he'll be out until August, if, we're lo- if the Mets are lucky. If they're lucky, he'll be back in August. And Cespedes played in some uh, rehab games, went two for two, but then he, then he hurt his quad again. And now he's back in, and that was in Double A in Binghamton. Now he's back in Port St. Lucie. No updates on him. That means at best he'll be back by the All Star break. At best, at best. By the way, the Mets probably be twenty games under five hundred by then, and I wouldn't be surprised if he just shuts it down for the rest of the year. And by the way, look, I've liked the guy ever since he came in the league when the A's when the A's originally got him from Cuba when all cost was money. And it wasn't that much money they gave him. I wanted the Mets to sign him, right? Because the Mets didn't have any prospects then, again, to trade for anybody. They had nobody coming up through their system. They needed a guy like that. I was always a fan. I was thrilled when the Mets got him, when he was their plan B in 2015. Obviously, he carried the Mets into the playoffs in 2015. And when he's played, he's been great. Problem is, he never plays anymore. I'm done. I'm done. I am done with Ioannis Cespedes. Adios, senor. That's it. Move on. The best the Mets could hope for right now is that, and this is going to be start of the re- this is going to be one of the parts of the rebuilding plan. Is hope that he does come back at some point this year, mashes, and the Mets could trade him in the offseason because he'll only have two years left on his contract. 
and hope you can get one or two well thought of prospects. I don't care if they're in single A, double A, triple A, whatever, to get him back to a team that thinks that they could get him maybe healthy because when he plays, he's a dynamic player. No question about it. Problem is he doesn't play anymore. It's like it's somewhat similar to when Moise Salou is here with the Mets. Although the big major difference is I believe Moise Salou was about 38 when Omar signed him. And then was and, and Moise Salou was always hurt. I mean, his whole career he was always hurt. Cespin is the year before the Mets got him, played 158 games. So since he showed up on the Mets, this has been a more a relatively new development here where the guy's a China doll, even though he's chiseled out of stone. So Moises Alou was always hurt. But then you had Omar Minaya was shocked. He was shocked. He couldn't believe that Moises Alou was hurt all the time. Now, when he played, he mashed. He could hit. Moises Alou could probably still hit right now. He's probably my age. He's probably 48. He could probably still hit if you, if you, against some of the dreck that's in the Major League Baseball right now. But the problem is he never stayed healthy. But the Mets always used to lament, Omar in particular, oh, well, I mean, Moises Alou, one of the greatest hitters in the, in the baseball, but, uh, you know, he's hurt. Well, of course, Omar, because he's 38. You think his injuries are going to go away the older he gets? Classic. Couldn't believe it. So weird. Well, really, a guy who's in his late 30s who's had a history of being injured his whole career is also, again, injured. And Sandy, by the way, did the same thing with Michael Kadire, coming off an injury... Uh, please. I, I mean, again, it just doesn't end. It never ends. The cycle never ends. We could go back to 2004 when the Mets were like four games under 500 and thought they were going to go for it, and they traded Scott Casimir for Victor Zambrano because Rick Peterson said I could fix him in five minutes. Uh-huh. How'd that work out? Oh, I think in his third start, his arm almost fell off. And was never seen or heard from again. And Kazmir went on to have a good, not great, but a good career. But he was a Mets stud young lefty pitcher. Best pitching prospect at the time. The Mets traded him for Victor Zambrano. And they also got Chris Benson back in a different trade, who stunk too, by the way. Okay, the, the more, more, most headlines they were about Chris Benson were his wife. So from one end of the spectrum to the other, there's a good article in the Times on Sunday about the Mariners and their general manager, Jerry DePoto, who, by the way, was a former Mets relief pitcher, also pitched for the Indians, amongst others. Um, Of course, by the time the Mets got him, I think he was pretty much shot, but he'd had a couple of successful years. But in any event, he has pretty much bucked the trend of the slow, lumbering, lummox, strikeout or home run player. And think about this crazy concept. He's infused his team with both power and speed. Hmm. Imagine that. So he's got D. Gordon at the top of the lineup leading off, followed by Gene Segura. Gene Segura led the league in hits, I think, the last two years in a row. He's hitting about 330 or 340 right now. Uh, D. Gordon, who we got for nothing, who the Mets, of course, had no interest in in the offseason, even though they had a glaring hole at second base. Right? And D. Gordon, the Mariners decided to play center field because they had Robinson Cano. But then after Cano got hit with the suspension. First he got injured, then he got hit with the suspension. They moved D. Gordon back to second base. Now look, D. Gordon is not everybody's cup of tea. I get it. And in today's modern sabermetrics, you know, analytics, stat nerd baseball, a lot of guys don't like him because he doesn't walk that much. But meanwhile, he's going to lead the league in stolen bases. Again, he plays a good second base and he can hit. Okay? And guess what? <clears throat> Seems to be working okay for the Mariners because as of today, by the way, uh, they have 
42 wins. You know how many wins the Yankees have? 42. The Astros, who everybody loves, with all their genius analytics guys, 42. And this is, by the way, again, without Robinson Cano. But he's got big boppers in the lineup like uh, Nelly Cruz and Mitch Hanniger and Seeger. Guys like, again, uh, D. Gordon and Gene Segura, the shortstop. So, I mean, he's kind of gone old school, right? Speedy, athletic, double play combination at second and short. Big boppers there in the middle of the lineup. And he's got a very good bullpen. We talked. I talked about Diaz a couple of weeks ago on the show. Adam Cole made it that bullpen will only lengthen it. Now uh, the manager has multiple options of who could close games. Diaz most of the time will, but when he needs to blow, Colome is more than capable. And he's a very good setup. He'll be a very good setup guy. Already has been. Denard Span was a nice addition. Granted, yes, older player, but a solid stick. And he said, look, we're going to do it a little bit differently. We're going to play a little bit like those national teams from the 80s. National League teams, rather, from the 80s. We're going to run. We're going to steal bases. But yes, we all understand you still need power. So we did both. What a crazy, novel concept that is. And by the way, the Mariners are doing this with King Felix not being King Felix anymore. Now, James Paxton, Bat Paxton has stepped up through a no-hitter earlier in the year. And he's 6-1. and one. They got guys like Wade LeBlanc, who's been around the league a bunch of times, soft-tossing lefty. Think Jason Vargas, for you Mets fans out there. He's done a, fine, done, done a solid job for them. In fact, let's take a look. Let's delve in a little deeper. Take a look at some of the statistics on the Mariners. We'll go ahead and start. Okay, so we talked about the lineup. Segura is hitting 343. He only has 11 walks, but only 38 strikeouts. So he makes contact, right? So the on-base percentage is 365, which is very good. But with a 343 batting average, you'd like it to be higher. But his OPS is 848 because he's slugging 483. He's got 18 doubles, two triples, five homers, 40 RBIs. Batting second, by the way. And 14 stolen bases. And he's got 50 runs scored in 63 games. So he's on pace to score over 100 runs. He's having an excellent year. Right? D. Gordon. 15 RBIs, only two, okay. 19 stolen bases. OPS isn't great at 650, but guess what? They're winning. Only four walks for D. Gordon. Look, again, I understand he's not everybody's cup of tea, but in the right lineup, see, it's not just about looking at a guy's baseball card or the back of a guy's baseball card and saying, oh, I'm just going to pop him in there, right? Or, oh, I don't like this guy because he doesn't walk. You know, a lineup is a living, breathing organism, right, with interchangeable parts and, and, and parts that need to fit and match. You know, Mookie Wilson couldn't play in today's baseball either. He's another guy that barely walked. Somehow managed to work for the Mets. Hanniger's got 13 homers and 47 RBIs. With an excellent OPS at 833, Nelly Cruz does what Nelly Cruz does. I mean, the guy's amazing, by the way. 15 homers, 36 RBIs. He's on pace for another 30 in 100 year. 879 OPS. Kyle Seeger, 12 and 41. Batting average is not great. It's bad at 225, but he's driving in runs. But so they don't walk a lot, but they don't strike out a lot either. 
And they got, again, they've got, let's see, one, two, three, four, five guys, double digits home runs right now, and that's without Cano. So that's their offense. Now we'll go to the pitching. And again, Paxton leads the way with a 3.02 ERA. He is 10, sorry, 6 and 1. A lot of straight, 111 strikeouts and 89 innings pitched. Very nice. Excellent whip at 1.01. Mike Leak is in their line, in their, eh, you know, he's an eh. It's a middle of rotation, back end of the rotation guy with his four and a half ERA, you know, but he'll give you some innings. He's not terrible. You can live with him. But look, Felix Hernandez is five and six with a 570 ERA, and they're 18 games over 500. We talked about Edwin Diaz, right? 0.89 whip. <laughs> He's got 24 saves in 35 games, by the way. And then they picked up Colome, who, since he's gotten there, okay, six innings. He's only pitched six innings. He's got one save, five holds. Oh, they've got old Mets friend Jason Bradford, who's 4 0 out of their bullpen. Let's see. I didn't even know that. He's got a 1.01 whip, 25 innings pitched, 20 hits, 20 strikeouts, only six walks. 4-0 out of the pen. Now, wins and losses out of the bullpen deceiving, right? You come in, pitch an inning, pitch maybe one batter, and then in a tie game, team scores, and then bottom half of the inning, you get the win. They called it the vulture win. So, whatever. But guess what? It's better than A.J. Ramos, who the Mets have. who's been awful and is now hurt. So I just found it, again, interesting that there's at least one general manager out there that has not succumbed to doing what everybody else is doing and said, you know what? There's actually more than one way to build a team. And yes, you can have guys that have athleticism and are fast and steal bases, but also have guys that hit for, for power. Imagine that. Crazy concept. All right, we'll take a short break, and we'll be back to talk about some trades or potential trades right after this. Okay, and we are back here on another edition of Jamal About Sports. So uh, I know, again, the trade deadline is, is about six weeks away, but as a Mets fan, it's pretty much all we got now. Uh, so, and listen, I understand it's still early, and the Mets technically are what? <coughs> Excuse me. They are... You know, I think they're only seven back in the loss column, really, of the Nationals or the Braves, whomever's in first place. Let's go ahead and look at the standings really quickly. Uh, Nationals are 27 losses. The Mets have 34. So, yeah, I mean, they're seven games back. But you know what? They're six games under 500. And since the, the, the 11-1 start, let me see if I can do my math correctly here. That means they're 17, sorry, 7 11, no, 17, yeah, and 33. I mean, 16 games under 500. That's, that's terrible in, in 50 games. I mean, it's uh, awful. And minus 35 run differential. I mean, they're a horror show. So, yes, I understand that it's still early, and they're not dead yet, but you know my rule. Get to 500, then we can talk. Okay, Mets are six games under 500. You get to 500, then, then, then maybe you can talk to me a little bit about trying to make a run at the playoffs. But until the Mets get to 500, 
which I don't think they will. But if, until, if and or until then, to me, time to start selling parts. Time to start moving on. Now, I'm not talking about getting rid of DeGrom or Syndergaard. That would be the dumbest, by the way, most Metsian thing ever, which is we've done such a poor job surrounding our two best players with talented players. Let's get rid of those guys. You see, I don't trust Sandy Alderson and this current front office to make those decisions. Now, Jairus Familia, who's going to be a free agent at the end of this year, yes. Assuming he comes back healthy, which, of course, in Metland is probably a silly thing to do. <laughs> However, uh, let's just assume, for argument's sake, let's be very Sandy Alderson-esque here and take the best-case scenario view. Um, he will command, or should command, anyway, a pretty penny. On the open market. Think about it. The Yankees got Gliber Torres, the Cubs' best prospect, for a rental in a role as Chapman. Now, I'm not saying Familia is as quite as good as Chapman. He's close. When he's at the top of his game, he's damn near close. And in fact, can be better at times. So, uh, teams like the Astros and the Red Sox. I mean, I know the Red Sox have Kimbrell. The guys in front of Kimbrell are a little spotty. I know Joe Kelly has been good at times, and Heath Hembry and Barnes. Familia is better than all of them. You know, the Yankees want to give up on, I mean, sorry, the Red Sox want to give up on Jackie Bradler Jr. Okay, that's a start. Young switch hitting defensive wizard in center field. Sure, that's a start. I don't know the Red Sox form system well enough. To give you options there, but that's a team. The Astros are a team. They've got tons of talent in the minor league system. Derek Fisher, young outfielder. That's a guy I'd be looking at. Dodgers, yeah. They could probably use Familia. I mean, any team that's in it could use Familia, except maybe the Yankees, because they've got Robertson and they've got Batantis, who looks like he's back on track, and they've got obviously Chapman. But the Red Sox could certainly use him. The Indians might be able to use him. I mean, Miller has, you know, all that wear and tear might be catching up with him. Same thing with uh, Allen. The Mariners looked like they're set. The Astros, obviously I just mentioned them. And the Angels could certainly use Familia. Now, again, I don't know enough about the Angels' prospects in their minor league system. And then, you know, look, the Mets aren't going to trade Familia, I doubt, to any team in their division. Uh, could the Cubs use them? Mm. Brewers have one of the best bullpens in all of baseball. The Cardinals could certainly use Familia. Their bullpen stinks. I'm sorry, Bud Norris is not the answer as your closer. And I understand they got the young kid, Hicks, who throws 100 miles an hour, but he's, he, he does not look like right now, anyway, he's ready for prime time or to be the, you know, the closer on a playoff team. He's a young kid. So there should be no less than five to seven trade partners out there for Jay Roos Familia. He should be, again, assuming he comes back and is healthy and is effective, he should be player number one on Sandy's list to be traded. And look, I love the guy. I, 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 I always like the guy. But it's time. Again, if somebody wants Cespedes, I would do it. Now, that's going to be a tall order. I get it. You're probably not going to be able to trade him this year. In fact, there's no way you're going to trade him this year. So let's just get that out of here. You'd have to trade him in the offseason. Like I said earlier, you hope he finishes the year strong and then maybe you could move him in the offseason. 
Jay Bruce, I mean, nobody's taking him right now. I mean, you'd love to get rid of him, but nobody's taking him. Again, you hope maybe he gets hot, and then maybe somebody would take him. I mean, the Mets got nothing for him last year. Now, granted, last year he was going to be a free agent, but, I mean, the Mets literally got nothing from him. They traded him because they wouldn't pony up extra money to the Yankees, so they traded him to the Indians to get a position player that just got converted to being, into being a pitcher. He was like 24 years old. It was a joke what Sandy Olsen got back for him, for a guy who was having a career year, too. You're going to tell me that's the best you could do? As Dribble Cabrera, I mean, look, guy's a professional hitter. Should be a DH at this point in his career, for sure. But you know what? A team like the Mariners could use him. Now, I don't understand Nelly Cruz is there. Is there uh, is there a DH? So that would, that would be tough. Nelly really can't play the outfield anymore. Um, they probably are going to get uh, – well, uh, no, I don't think they are going to get Cano back. I don't think he's eligible for the postseason with that 80-game suspension. But, you know, there might be another team or two out there that might want as Drupal Cabrera. Um, you know, nobody's taking Jason Vargas, but if you could deal him, I would. Todd Frazier, sure. I doubt anybody would want him. But maybe. he's only got a, It's only a two-year deal. You know, if somebody gets hurt, you never know, right? It could be an injury. Somebody needs a third baseman. I mean, he'd be perfect for the Red Sox. Todd Frazier would be perfect. I mean, now, look, Devers has not had a great year so far, but the Red Sox have been able to, to, to you know, manage because Betts has been so good and Benintendi has been so good and Bogarts has been so good and uh, Moreland has been so good. So, you know, they're scoring a ton of runs anyway. They expect Evers to probably come along. But, you know, let's just say again, by the, by the time the All-Star break runs around, or the, rather the uh, trade deadline, and if he's still really struggling, Todd Frazier would be perfect. In that park, Fenway, you kidding? Plus, he'd fit right in with that clubhouse. Indians don't need him. They got Ramirez at third. He's a stud. Although they could put Ramirez over to second and play Frazier at third because Jason Kipnis looks like he's done. Of course, by the way, that was a guy the Mets, of course, had their eye on in the offseason. He's hitting about 190. Um, but yeah, the Indians could be a match for Frazier. National League. You know, Brewers, nah. Cardinals. Cubs have Chris Bryant. Dodgers have Justin Turner, assuming he stays healthy the rest of the year. I mean, maybe the Giants. I, you know, look, Todd Frazier, again, he's a useful player. Teams like him. He can hit home runs. He's increased his walk rate in the last couple of years. He's adequate at third. He's not great, but he's adequate. He's not a total butcher over there. And he's a good clubhouse guy. So the Mets have some pieces. They could get some stuff back. Again, don't give me 17 relievers, none of whom are any good, like they did last year. And I'll tell you this right now. In the right deal, you want Michael Conforto, you can have him. In the right deal. Now, I need to be getting back something of value. I'm not just going to give him away. But let's just say for argument's sake, the Red Sox said, yeah, we'll take Familia. Uh, You want Jackie Bradley Jr. and say one of our top prospects, we want Conforto too? I might be inclined to do it. Look, if you're not going to move Cespedes and you want a real center fielder, Jackie Bradley Jr. is a real center fielder. Nimmo can play right, and if you're not going to move Cespedes, Cespedes is going to be your left fielder. Where, where, where's Conforto? 
He might be a valuable. And look, I'm sure, look, he's still young enough. He's 25, 26. And by the way, I understand it's early still in the year, okay? And he had a very good year last year until before he got hurt, right? And it could still be he's still trying to work his way back. But, I mean, let's, let's just take a look at the numbers here, folks. They, they are not pretty. He is, okay, so he's got 181 at-bats. That's not nothing, right? He's got five doubles, seven home runs. His, his slugging percentage is 359. His on-base is actually not bad, considering his batting average is 215. His on-base is 335. His OPS is 694. This is a guy that should be in the mid-800s to 900. 16 RBIs. He's struck out 55 times. In 53 games. It's awful. I mean, I don't think I'm overreacting here. And I get it. It's a bad 53 games. I understand. The game, the season's 162 games. I get it. And I'm not saying I want him off my team today. But again, in the right deal, he's certainly not off limits. Put it that way. I mean, here's another guy, Wilmer Flores. He'd be perfect on a team in the American League that needed a guy who crushed his lefties. Even though he hasn't done it this year, historically he has. And he's got the clutch gene. We know that. And he'd probably be great on a really good team where he could fit in and just kind of fly under the radar. I mean, but other than that, there's really not much else on this roster anybody would want. I mean, Lagares is hurt for a change. <laughs> Nimmo people would want, but if you're the Mets, you have to keep him. You know, Ahmad Rosario, okay. I mean, does anybody want him? I mean, maybe. He's 22. You know, his first 60 games in the big leagues have not gone. Oh, no, sorry. He played, what, about 40 games last year at the end. His first 100 or so games in the big leagues have, have not gone great. Let's just be honest. He looks like he has no baseball IQ whatsoever, which, by the way, I don't blame on him. I blame it on the Mets system. All right, he struck out 45 times with only eight walks. He's like four for eight in stolen bases. I mean, and his defense has not been good. So, I mean, look, there might be a team out there that scouted him that really likes him, that they think if they get him in their program, they could unlock the potential that's there. But... I mean, I, I, even I, and, and as, as, as much as I don't like watching his game because guys that don't know how to play drives me nuts, but uh, it's, it'd be foolish to give up on him this, this quickly. So look, there's, there, there will be trades to be made. The big question is, well, we already know we don't trust Sandy to, do, to make the right ones, but... Again, I'm not trading DeGrom and I'm not trading uh, Syndergaard. I'm not doing it. You don't get rid of your two best players because you screwed up getting good players around them. That's stupid. You keep those guys and you figure out how to get better around them. And by the way, Wheeler and Mats have shown signs recently as well. Mats in particular, although Wheeler's been pretty good lately too. All right, we'll take a short break and we'll finish up with the NBA. 
right after this. Okay, we are back here as we finish off the last segment of this week's episode of Jamal About Sports. And uh, look, the NBA didn't do it last week, didn't do a show last week. Uh, I think I went into it saying, you know, it was a miracle. LeBron got the, 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 the Cavs as far as he got them. Golden State was clearly the superior team. I thought, you know, if Cleveland got a game, that would be uh, a good job. They had a game in game one. Uh, they kind of blew it. They kind of threw it away. At the end, look, the block charge call, you know, I didn't love it. I'm surprised they overturned it. Um, it's a bad rule that they, they, that they can do that because his foot, uh, you know, they went to see if the foot's above. The, 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 what happened there is there's that restricted area with the semicircle, and they're allowed to replay whether or not a guy's foot is in the semicircle or not. Now, it determined it wasn't because it wasn't, but then they're allowed to review the whole thing. I don't like that. I think that's bad. Um, and, again, that's such a judgment call. I'm surprised it, it went uh, uh, against LeBron there. Um, but that was huge. And then, obviously, A, George Hill missing the foul shot that would have put him up one. And, by the way, that's no guarantee they win. Golden State still has a timeout there. They call timeout the inbound with four seconds left at half court, you know, or past half court. It's plenty of time for them to get off a shot. I mean, you know, we've all seen Steph Curry make ridiculous shots with less time than that. So, you know, it's not a guarantee that Cleveland wins, but the fact that George Hill's an 80% foul shooter and he missed that shot is, A, problem one, and then, B, of course, J.R. Smith not knowing what the score is and dribbling the ball out, basically, and LeBron looking like he wanted to, <laughs> to knock his lights out, and rightfully so. And then it was revealed afterwards that, you know, he did go and, in fact, punch uh, a whiteboard and had an injured hand. You know, it, it, it affected him so much that after, you know, he averaged, what, 36, uh, 11, and 9 for the series. <laughs> I mean, the guy, I, look, I, I, we've talked about it all season. The guy's a, a marvel. He's a marvel. So, look, it's just as well that they got swept. No shame in that whatsoever. Golden State had... had you know, one through ten, a much better roster than Cleveland did. So now all the intrigue will be: what's LeBron going to do in the off season? Um, as far as I'm concerned, he do whatever the hell he wants, right? He brought a championship back to Cleveland the second time here. He brought them to the finals. He's been in the finals eight straight years between Miami and Cleveland. Um, you know, look, they, they, they. A, you could argue they should have never traded Kyrie Irving. Kyrie Irving moaned his way out of there. I get it. But they needed to get back much more than what they got back for Kyrie Irving. I mean, Isaiah Thomas, really? Come on. Uh, but it, So it'll be interesting. I mean, look, it, if you're looking at it from a perspective of if he wants to win more championships, then staying in the East is the best move. Because in the West, Golden State doesn't look like they're going anywhere anytime soon. And Houston is a viable uh, contender as well, assuming Chris Paul stays there, which he may not, because he's saying he wants to get paid and look, I'm not a huge Chris Paul guy, but uh, he, he kind of made a good case for himself. So, uh, you know, he paired well with Harden, and when he when he played, their record was was. Gr- I mean, without him, they were really good. But when he played, they were amazing, and they ain't getting past Golden State without him. Now, I don't know if they're getting by Golden State with him, but certainly not without him, which we saw in the playoffs. So, you know, the West. Provides a much tougher path than the East. Now, Philadelphia is certainly on the come, um, but you know, let's not just anoint them just yet. Like, can can they? You know, let's see them get to a conference finals first. Um, but 
does LeBron go there? Is that a good fit? You know, you've got Simmons who needs to dominate the ball there. You know, LeBron is at his best when he's when he's a when he's facilitating and dominating the ball. Now, maybe you know, his, for him, advanced age, maybe he does take a back seat. Maybe his mere presence, his aura, his persona helps. I mean, certainly his play. And you could, you know, get creative and, and have Simmons play off the ball sometimes and post him up maybe, although nobody posts anybody up anymore. <laughs> and he can't shoot yet. Unless Simmons takes about 1,000 three-pointers a day this summer and turns into a respectable three-point shooter, I mean, he, he needs to play point guard because he can't shoot, even though he's 6'11". Uh, but, you know, and Bede likes to jack up his threes too. I, I don't know that LeBron's a great fit in Philly. Which sounds weird to say because he's the best player on the planet. But again, for what they need, you know, it's not team sports are not just the, you just throw the five best players on the court and, and it's going to work out. Basketball, you know, football, whatever, don't work like that. So may not be a great fit there. Certainly going back to Cleveland, if you know, look. They have, what, the eighth pick in the draft? I mean, that, that could be an impact player. We just saw Donovan Mitchell's the 13th pick in the draft. was a huge impact player for Utah. We'll see who's available, who they get. I mean, Trey Young could be a great fit there. I'm not a Trey Young guy. I don't want the Knicks to have anything to do with him, and I actually think he'll probably be out of the league in three years. I think the one place that could make sense for him is Cleveland with LeBron because he can shoot when he gets space. I just think he'll have a hard time in the NBA getting his shot off. He's tiny. But with LeBron, he, he might be able to get, you know, that could free him up. Um, so Cleveland, maybe, you know, does he go back to Miami? I, I don't see it. There's not a lot there. The Knicks, please, dream on. Um, and honestly, I don't even know if the Knicks make sense. I mean, the Knicks, you know, look, if you're going to rebuild, rebuild. Now, you know, the only way that LeBron to the Knicks would work, maybe, is if you knew Porzingis was going to be back and playing well by, say, late December, early January. Because you got January, February, March, April. So you got four months of the season. And if you thought that, you know, one of, you know, Hardaway, Moutier, Trey Burke, Nilakina, you know, with Cantor, I, I mean, Certainly, look, the Knicks could get LeBron on the Knicks team now. I mean, I said, you know, it's a 45-48 win team, maybe even 50. But is that getting you to the finals? Probably not. Probably not. I mean, again, unless, those, unless some of these other guys make dramatic improvements, unless Moutier turns into a stud or Trey Burke. You know, Hardaway actually was fine for the Knicks this year. He was the least of their problems. I think he averaged 17 a game, five rebounds or four rebounds three I mean he wasn't he was fine he got hurt a bunch but you know he cares I got no issues with him but you know it's the rest of these guys who knows and that's the other reason by the way the Knicks would be so dumb to take Trey Young I mean you just drafted a point guard last year and then you traded for two well you traded for one in Moutier and then Trey Burke you signed off the scrap heap he's basically Trey Young, he's an undersized, shoot-first, scoring point guard. And Trey Burke showed flashes of being very good at that thing. Right? He's never going to be a good defender because he's too little. And he's never going to be a, really a high-assist guy. 
But as a third guard, you know, sort of mini Vinnie Johnson microwave-ish type of guy off the bench to give you, you know, a lot of points in, in short minutes, he showed that he could do that at times. I'm not saying he commit to him fully. You know, Moutier is completely different, right? He's a big, strong, powerful guy. And Nilakina is sort of in between. He's a tall, lanky guy who needs a ton of improvement, who I don't think is athletic enough to be a real impact player in the league. But we shall see. He is only 19. So it'll be interesting to see where, where LeBron goes. I mean, I'm sure there will be, you know, and of course then the Lakers, everybody's talking about the Lakers. He owns a home in L.A. They do have a nice no, young nucleus out there with Ball and Ingram and Randall and Kuzma. So, you know, you put LeBron on that team with his no-nonsense approach and he whips some of those clowns into shape. Could be interesting. But again, that team ain't better than Golden State this year. Maybe in two years, but in two years, what's LeBron going to look like? Look, I wouldn't put anything past the guy. I mean, he's not getting, he's not going to be out of shape in two years, that's for sure. He's not going to show up like Jordan did in his third act with the Wizards when he looked like a, an old guy on, his, on the playground. All right, that will do it for tonight's show. As always, thank you for listening. Check me out on iTunes, on SoundCloud, my website, jamalaboutsports.com, Facebook page, jamalaboutsports, at Twitter, on Twitter, rather, at jamalaboutsportnos. Yes, indeed, the social media maven that I am. All right, enjoy. Uh, Oh, sorry, we also got the big golf event this week, U.S. Open, my pick, Jason Day. That'll do it. Until next time, peace out.